Right, Harry, did you see that ludicrous display last night? The shout for handball. He's in, clearly. And he tee up someone in red. In he goes to one. It's a one-trap. What about that? And welcome back to the All Nations Football Podcast with myself, Joseph, and my very good friend, Owen. Hello there, everyone. And back by popular demand, we have Matthew Ward this week. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, everyone. How are we all doing? Glad to be back. Glass of wine in hand. Classy man. So we've decided there, um, well, as I said, he's back by popular demand. We've had uh, lots of positive feedback about your last performance, Matthew. I'd give you a solid nine out of ten for uh your last turnout for us. How did you uh, enjoy being on the show last time? And are you looking forward to uh, being back on? Yeah, it was great fun, to be honest. Uh, I, I feel like, uh, having watched all the other uh, episodes of your podcast, I'm the only one who talk any sense. So no wonder I wanted to come back and everyone wanted me back. Um, I can sit here quite smug because the last time I was on, I made a few predictions and they all turned out right. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm fair. glad to be back. And it's good to, good to see you both again. It's, it is generally Proctor who comes out with the ridiculous statements on this podcast. He did he did say Mikarteta was a terrible manager and he Oleganoshoska was shy, but and United just won five 0 against the team top of the German league. So what do you have to say about that, Joseph? Um I was I was right on one of those things. Mikhail Arteta uh, is uh, a good manager, so I got that one wrong. <laughs> Uh, is how I should have started that one. But yeah, you know, I've, I've had some bad predictions. I think Antonio as well, his form's one that's come back to bite me in the ass. But listen, this is what it's all about. It's just opinions. You've got to put your, your, your heart on the line, your opinion where it matters. And um, some you get wrong, some you get right. Uh, Matthew, fair play. You have been spot on with a couple of the predictions you made in the, in the last pod. Uh, so much so that me and I were discussing earlier that we want to, we're going to now debut our. Our continental, uh, oh fuck, I've forgotten the actual title. What, what it's called? Our <laughs> European correspondent. I think that was the one we went for. Oh, nice. So you'll be speaking to me a bit more then, yeah? Uh, <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Uh, okay, we shall see. Right. No, I've got to jot this down now to make sure that I'm actually sober on the weekends to remember the football and not just what I'm interested in. Um, leading on from our ramble, um, shall we start talking about why we got Matthew on board and? Um... Barcelona and their president and what is going on in Catalonia? Yeah, I think it would be uh, quite a good starting point. Um, well, Matthew, I, I think we should just pretty much leave it to you to give the uh, the details of what's going on. Um, obviously, we've had a, a previous podcast where we've discussed this topic before. Um, it was around the time when Messi was, was on about leaving or apparently on about leaving. Um Give, give the listeners uh, a start of what, what's been going down, um, well, pretty much this, this week. So, yeah, as you said, I remember we talked about three months ago or something like two, three months ago, Messi was going to be leaving. I spoke about the fact that it's not so much to do with the team performance or even the manager I didn't have too much of a problem with. It was more the presidential, uh, the, the president in charge and the board. Uh, fast forward now to this week, we've seen that Barca had a terrible result on the weekend against Real Madrid. Um, not really, I think, anything to do with, the, the, again, the team performance, just a lack of direction from the top. Uh, the 
presidential elections were meant to be next June. They've been brought forward. They've been brought forward very uh, by a lot now since that obviously we've seen Bartomeu leave. And um, we'll get on to in a bit of his leaving interview because that's quite interesting in itself. But um, yeah, we've got a bit of an open pot now. There's um, going to be elections coming up to see who's going to be in charge of the uh, in charge of the club moving forward. Uh, a couple of candidates who I think uh, I know who I would prefer to see come in. And uh, yeah, I, hopefully there's a, a lot about that that is going to be quite interesting to see what happens over the next season. Would have preferred it to have happened at the beginning of the transfer period. We would might have not seen Ronald Koeman being manager and we might have had some better transfers, but there we are. That's what it is. Here we are. So um, I think it'd be quite... It's quite important, really, to detail that uh, how the, the presidential system and everything works in Spain is not something that we see um, here in, in the UK. I, I can't can't think of a club that anyway that sort of implements the same sort of system. But I know it's very common in in Spain, and obviously, uh, particularly for Real Madrid and for Barcelona. Anyway, what's the sort of process like? How, how do they? Who gets to elect? Do the fans get to have, to vote on? Who they would like as the members only to the players? How, how does all that stuff work? And how do candidates put themselves forward? Is it club legends or is it people that maybe you know aren't as, as well known in football? So uh, what happens is, is with the club is you can subscribe to be a member. You get obviously your newsletters, your updates. Uh, you're part of a, a wider society. You get more of an insight of what goes on in the company. Um, it, you can pay for a special membership. Uh, to get even more improved kind of uh, documentation and, and like involvement. So like you can get the annual uh, financial statements, you get to know what's happening within the elections of the club and what's happening in the back, like the backroom staff. And, um, basically, if you sign up as a member, you are eligible to vote. So I can have a vote now when they tell me the, the, um, the candidacies going forward. To be a candidate, usually what you find is, is it's not just anyone. It's usually someone with a bit more of a political stance in the sport. Well, I'm going to stick with Barcelona. So in Catalonia, you tend to have someone who's already been involved from some sort of management kind of situation, either through like the youth team or like kind of sporting director, financial director, has been usually it's either an ex-board member or someone who's a manager within the club or is known throughout the club from uh, either previous involvement um, or... It could be someone completely brand new. It can be someone brand new, but it just doesn't really happen in Barcelona because you wouldn't really get the, re the response or, or the support you need. So at the moment, we've got Victor Font, who's been in the backroom staff for quite a long time. There's a lot of involvement with the, um, with the uh, La Masia. And then we've got uh, Jean Laporte, who Laporte was the president during what I'd say the golden years when Pep Guardiola was manager and then Luis Enrique upon... Well, before he left so he was the president then so he's put himself back up for re-election which i found quite interesting because he voted he was voted out so but this new gentleman well i say new new in the media probably new for everyone not in, involved in spain or following it too much uh victor fonts he's come up with some really kind of quite radical changes he wants to make within barcelona and how we're doing things it sounds like a bit of a change, but realistically, all it is is going back to the roots of bringing the people who have been involved with the club for a long time back in. So one of the main things he wants to do is he wants to bring Poyol into the coaching staff. He wants to get Xavi out of Saudi Arabia and bring him back. 
which is a potential pick for him to be manager. I think more likely to be Barcelona and be manager. He wants to bring in the Esther out of China and bring him in, but that's obviously according to whether he wants to retire or not. So, Iniesta's in Japan, by the way, sorry. Oh. You sure? Yeah, he plays for Colby in Japan in the J-League. Oh, right. They, okay. and well, they, they're, they're backed by uh, Rakuten, who are also obviously sponsors of Barcelona. Hmm. Come on now, come on now, board. You're speaking to the fucking, you know, the main man here, the the owner of the tofu bowl. The tofu bowl. He knows his Asian football. When you say getting chavi, when you say getting chavi out of Saudi Arabia, you make him sound like a prisoner of war. All right, no, 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 no. He's a coach of player there. He he left Barcelona. I know, I know. know. (laughs) (laughs) We're not doing some Mission Impossible out of Beirut or something to go and get him in a prison. He's not stuck. I'm sure he's living his life pretty large over there. So you said one of the the other things that you touched upon there was about getting Poyol back in the uh, in the coaching staff. Obviously, club legend, footballing legend, really footballing great. Surely that should be the manager's decision who gets to go on the coaching staff. Well, no, that's quite that's not even uncommon in British football. You find that the board, because you imagine like Manchester United. I think Chelsea as well, though it's owned by a single shareholder because they're shareholders. That's so great. they will have a say. I think it's slightly different the structure here in Britain. Uh, Britain will have a head coach or a team manager and he will select his coaches. That might be so. Barcelona, what I mean more so is bringing them into the fold of um, like the youth team academy is usually the main stop because La Masia, uh, the youth team, and the youth academy for Barcelona is such a big element of their their existence. Usually, bringing older players, retired players, go through their coaching badges and go into La Masia there. Or what they'll end up doing is like what we saw with Abadal, which quite sh- quite sorry that he had to leave in the way he did. Obviously, didn't do very good as a sporting exec- uh, sporting director. I think he was at Barcelona. I can't remember his exact title. But they will be more of a kind of a support for the board level. And then, rightly so, the manager then can pick his his coaching staff as well. It won't necessarily be the board forcing in. A lot of what you're talking about is Barcelona going back to roots of 10 years ago. And um, obviously, the president resigning, a lot of this was linked to whether um, Messi was going to stay at Barcelona. And basically, one of my questions is, first off, is, is it really healthy to be doing something for Messi when, in a few years' time, he'll not be playing football for Barcelona, even if he stays for the time being? And second off, um, is it just a case of Barcelona have got away from their roots and they haven't been running the um, good young players through in recent years, which is why form is dipped and performances have dipped on the pitch in recent years? So first of all, talking about your point with are we satisfying Messi? I think what we see is as a, as a person who has been at the club from a very young age, and while all the other great, like we say, uh, Iniesta's gone to Japan, Xavi left to go to uh, Saudi Arabia, Messi stuck through it all, really. I know he's obviously got a better package than anywhere else he can go to, but I think really going back to like his kicking up of a fuss of wanting to leave over the last few years, is because he realises the club behind him is not acting in the way that it has done for so many years, which was because of the new, what, the now retired president. So I think 
we're not trying to satisfy Messi. More Messi was trying to trying to trying to remind fans and trying to remind the public that Barcelona at the moment what was over the last five years or so not being run as it should have been, as it always has been since the Cruyff days. So I don't think we're satisfying him more the fact that his goals and his desires were for the benefit of the club. And going to the next point, is the is it, does it kind of seem like in agreement with the fans over in Barcelona that they need to start returning to their roots with people like Pior coming back, Iniesta and Xavi? Like, is that would that be popular among the fans and returning to the club? Well, I, did, I think I brought these stats up the last time we were talking. Four out of the five Champions Leagues we've won have been with an ex-Barcelona player as manager. Three of those were Barcelona B managers. So that kind of gives an indication that the progression of a recycling community, that you kind of come in at, at a youth academy level, you work your way up through the, the, the ranks at La Masia, you get to Barcelona B, you then have a couple of seasons where you're like 17 to 18, where you waver between the Barcelona B team to then a squad member of the first team, then a first team member, then a, then, then a, a, a team leader, then a senior, then you kind of go into the coaching staff and, it's the staff and then you go back and do the whole circle again as coaching from the La Masia and back up. He's probably... I think that's just an organic way to run a club. I mean, you do have the argument, like maybe some other great footballers in the world, like Ronaldo will say, has had massive success from not actually committing to any one club. But I think it's far and few between nowadays that you find a player that dedicates his life to a club that he's necessarily was born with. I know obviously Messi's Argentinian, but it, it, it kind of follows through. I think, like, there's, if you think of British football, Harry Kane has stuck with Tottenham. Jack Grealish has had plenty of opportunity to move to other clubs and stuck with Aston Villa. And I think it just shows a much more organic way to run a club if you treat it as a family you're with for life. Very quickly before um, Joe, Joe goes on, and that's kind of why um, Messi wanted to leave because that kind of family feel that Barcelona have was was falling apart under the current president. Because the problem, I, I was thinking about this when you invited me on yesterday. Um, the current president is a bit like some. It's a bit like how can I describe it? Uh, the unfortunate uh, David Moyes taking over from uh, Sir Alex Ferguson at Man United, or Unai Emery taking over at Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. They had such a long tenure. I'll bring this back to Barcelona. What I mean, Barcelona had six to seven years. We could argue nearly a decade, from 1995 when we won the first Champions League, oh, well, 15 years then, to 2011 or so, when we won the fifth one. So over the space of less than 20 years, we won five Champions Leagues. When uh, Joan Laporte, if I'm correct, as president, retired at the end of that tenure, anyone trying to replace him is going to be fighting a losing battle. You've already had your golden era, your golden streak, you're going to have to do something monumentous to try and keep that momentum going. And um, maybe, rightly or wrongly, we can analyse it now because it's over, they thought that the way to do that is to spend loads of money and try and buy a team and be somewhat, somewhat like another club in Spain. 
Uh, uh, yeah, of course, yeah. Atletico Madrid. That's who I want to go. They're the other bastards from that city. Um, <laughs> um, but they, they, they've had a success through just being able to spend a lot of money and recycle a Galactico team. Whereas Barcelona, I feel, especially during that kind of 15-year period, towards the latter of it, where we won three Champions Leagues, was through homegrown players. And once that golden age had ended, trying to replicate that would have been always quite difficult with an ageing Catalonian team. I think there's a couple of things there that you touched on. And there's... Your old man might have told you about this as a kid, boy. Considering uh, you first started out as a as a Liverpool fan, but there's, there was a famous. Uh, Bill I was Shanky. forced a Liverpool fan. Yeah, I yeah, not yeah, yeah. You still had the shirts, mate. You still had the shirts. So Bill Shankly had what was called the famous boot room in at Liverpool, and for for twenty odd years, Liverpool dominated England, and it and it stemmed from having a philosophy of always promoting from within the club. He never went outside. We had. Bill Shankly, then Bob Paisley, who was his assistant, and Joe Fagan, who was his assistant after that, and then Kenny Dalglish after that. And they were all tremendously successful. And then it got to Graham Souness and then Roy Evans, these club, and it just died out. And what, what happens is when you have a deep culture like that, sometimes the weight of expectation and the sort of ghost of your former successes is constantly there. And I kind of get that feeling with Barcelona. And there is that sort of fear or danger when you only have a philosophy of only promoting from within the club. You become so inverted. And sometimes you've completely missed the times. Other teams catch up. Football develops the pace of the game. You may be caught in a, in a, in a different era. And another point, like you said, you had that period 15 years ago, probably the best team the world has ever seen. But how many teams produce a batch of players like that in, in, in one generation, let alone two or three? Not many. You know, United had the class of 92. Barcelona had that Guardiola side, as you said, with all of those kids that were brought through at the same time. But you can't count on bringing through six or seven boys a generation who are going to be world class. I think that's just... I think that just happens. And I think you're very fortunate if that happens. And United had great success off at the back of it, as did Barcelona. So I, I definitely think maybe sometimes looking backwards at things that worked in the past uh, isn't necessarily the way that you move forward. And I think that's what I fear for Barcelona. And just by bringing back in Xavi and yes, to put all, all the greats, you know, you look at United, I know they've been doing well pretty recently, but, you know, is Oli really the man? Liverpool have had Kenny Dalglish come back in the past to try and save them. Is he really the man? You know, so the, the, these 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 things happen in football, but it'll be interesting to see anyway if the, the U-turn or certainly the new direction, I should say, works in their favour. Well, maybe I went for an ultra-tarian ultra approach. I don't mean the entire club has got to be from Catalonia. I mean, certainly not. I don't even think Xavi and Iniesta are actually from Catalonia. I mean, that would be more like Atletico Bilbao. They only yeah, I was going to say Bilbao work off that, don't they? I think, that's, always... I think that's hindering yourself a bit too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to get at is is that you have maybe a stem of players. I mean, I'm not talking about the entire 11, because even some of the best players during that period for us weren't, weren't Barcelona youth players. Um, but... Uh, I, I certainly think that you should have at least when so the rule at the moment sorry, 
don't darken your own way uh, comments. When you have the rule at the moment of home domestic players, you've got to have, is it 40% of your squad in Britain has to be domestically grown? In forms, right. So the Premier League proposed a maximum of 17 non-homegrown players in each club squad and the squad size is a maximum of 25. This means that a full squad of 25 players, there must be at least eight homegrown players. So yeah, it's, it's eight homegrown players. So that's, that's roughly a third, yeah. Well, it is a third. It's a third of the team. What I'm trying to get at is, is before like, we elaborated too much on it, is that maybe that third of the team shouldn't just be from that nation. I mean, a third of your team, a third of your squad, you could have two in the first team and six youngsters coming through, which are your backbench, which is what we're kind of seeing at Barcelona now. Over the last two weeks, we're seeing uh, Pedri come through, we're seeing... Ansu Fati, there we are. This is the guy I wanted to get onto. Was mm. uh, he at the tail end of last season? He had what 15 appearances for Barcelona and scored nine goals in La Liga. And he's he's what he's fucking 17. Like <laughs> I was still, I was still in, in in college trying to flip in Gary and gather enough money to buy fucking bags of Aribo. And this man scoring for Spain. Like what's what's going on? Like well, it wasn't Aribo. It was Cancer Stella, but there we go. <laughs> but what I'm trying to get at is, is if you try and have a, a, an, a, a an approach where your manager is given the, but not even the opportunity, but given the 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 culture where we go right, you don't buy fringe squad players. You give these kids a go because, like Barcelona, let go Adam Traore, Delafeo, Lucas Dinge, and all right, they're not first team players, but we've let a lot of players go. Tiago Al- Alcantara, which is playing for you now, is one of the best examples of us letting go a player when he was, I think we let him go, I'm going to say early 20s because I don't know how old he was. And we didn't give him a chance because we were looking towards purchasing other players. We didn't give him enough of a chance to bleed through. I, when we were talking last time, we talk, I, I spotted on Chelsea. Chelsea season last season, Lampard wasn't able to sign a lot of players, so we had a lot of young players come through, who I feel now have been let down because they did really well considering they they were a makeshift team and they were young. And he's gone in and bought a load of other players now. We spent plus two hundred million, and look at their squad now; it's not performing as well. So I think there's something in the idea of a keeping a proportion of your team, not just from the same country, because we all know that people from the same country can hate each other and have nothing in common. Up north, it's blowing right, a completely different land, isn't it? Like, so it's not, I think it, it, they should be, well, clubs should look for more of a an inward approach instead of just uh, one, money. Okay, everywhere. one one thing I'd like to, to mention, though, homegrown player, being a homegrown player doesn't actually technically mean that they're English. Um, that, that should be pointed out. would also say that as it, well. Because yeah. you could be a French, you could be a French lad, and you got signed. That I don't think they're allowed to sign them at sixteen anymore. But I th- maybe sixteen, seventeen. Put it this way: as soon as you get your, if yeah. you've been here for three years, then you know you, you count as a homegrown talent. So you might but, have a French lad who comes but, over when he's sixteen, and he breaks there, in at nineteen. There, yeah, there, there's also there, there's also examples of people who have come over as as like, children as well. As children, yeah, who have well, done well and become become homegrown players but yeah but sorry, we, Matthew, we, carry on we could talk about it and we, we the person who's been in the limelight quite a lot in this conversation he isn't from Catalonia he's not even Spanish he came across and he was 16 17 Lionel Messi 
Now, do I consider him a homegrown Barcelona player? Well, I promoted the fact that he understands the values of Barcelona a lot more than some of the other players and certainly some of the other staff that works there. So, yeah, I, I suppose I do agree with you. You don't have to have been born in that country. So long as I think so long as you've gone through kind of the B team or the youth team as it is in the UK, I think that's, that's the way you need to have a stem of your club revolving around that. Otherwise, you lose your identity. It's like, I, like Man City at the moment, I don't think, is there a single... Phil Foden, there's one player who could honestly say he's, he was a Manchester United supporter when he was a kid. Manchester City supporter when he was sorry, a kid. But sorry, yeah, yes. No, but, but but they, yeah, and I mean, that's a really was... good example. That's a really good example as well, because Phil Foden is so loved by Manchester City fans and he's got so much support around him. And I think that's an interesting point because I think having a young homegrown talent just makes brings the support together and helps the supporters feel more of a connection with the club. Hmm. I, I think it does so much for the for the club to be like that. But I think we've got on to that a lot. I, what we're trying to sum up is that I'm hoping this Victor Font who's coming in, well, I'm saying he's coming in, that's me predicting. I think he will be manager. I don't think we'll go back to Laporte. Uh, there are a few other candidates I've read slightly about them, but I don't feel they've got too much to shout. This Victor Font is at the forefront of it. I feel that his idea of trying to bring back the values of we're not going to buy every player in the world, which I think, interestingly, will rule out us ever signing Neymar again. He'll never wear a Barcelona shirt, no matter if if that was a thing. Doing yourself a fucking favour there anyway, mate. Don't think you're missing out on much. I don't think we are, to be honest. I'd rather his teammate, but that's also forking out a lot of money. Um, uh, I'm back. He's here. already said where he wants to go as well. He doesn't want to go to you. <laughs> okay, right. Come on, boys. We're completely going off topic with this. Nonsense. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. What I what I was trying to wrap up on that was is I think that uh, the presidential elections, which are come are going to be coming up soon. Um, I'll make a prediction. I've not been wrong yet on this podcast. Victor Font's going to be in charge, and I'm quite looking forward to him trying to incorporate a. an old culture of Barcelona to move them forward. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm yet to see. To be honest, it can't be that bad because we've been shocking. I find it quite funny the moment the president resigned on the when, on the Tuesday, sorry, Wednesday, we went and beat Juventus. A weakened Juventus, but we also had six first-team players out of the way uh, in the Champions League. This is all very interesting. So the other one, the other point that I kind of wanted to ask you about was um, Joseph um, Batemi said upon resigning that he's accepted an invitation for Barcelona to join what is apparently called the European Super League. Um, what do you make of that? And are you a fan of a Super League? Um, the kind of idea of the Super League is still very much up in the air and what what actually a Super League is, is kind of unknown, but it looks like it's kind of going to be an 18-team league made up of teams from England, Spain, Italy, Germany and France. The best, well, I say the best, um, the most exciting we've seen was uh, over the lockdown. I think I think we should go the complete other way, involve more teams into a Champions League Cup and be one-round knockouts all the way, all the way. That was so much more exciting for football. 
having a Euro, having an elite league for the best teams in in Europe is just a money making scheme. I just don't feel that it'll be that exciting. It'll be a money grab, power grab for the biggest teams in Europe um, because they basically solidified themselves as having Champions League football every year. Well, you talk about Barcelona going back to their roots, um, and surely part of their roots is not to be a money-hungry football club. Like Barcelona. Well, that's has why he's roots. left. That's why he's left. Have you ever been? Have you ever? Have you ever had a job where you said on your exit interview or on the last day before you go, "I'm quitting." By the way, I've decided to sign us up for next week's whatever. It's not going to happen. It's some. It's it's only. Uh, words in the press, I think, to just keep the press talking about him. I don't. I really don't understand you why. Think, you you think he's just got a massive ego? You think it's just yes. an ego? Yeah, I think he, I think I think he's just got. He's got. I can see that over the last few years of his tenure, or since he started, he all he has a massive ego because he wanted to be involved with so much. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to be involved with how the team was playing, who was playing, who was signed as the backroom staff. Where realistically, as president, your job is to just direct and just kind of, well, I say direct, just oversee everything and just not, well, to, it's certainly not what he was trying to do, was have too much of involvement with everything. So I think he just went down, uh, he went down in a blaze of glory exactly as his egotistical self was the entire of his tenure to just keep talking about himself. So even um, going kind of going away from the Barca president, um, what, Donald Matt, Trump? Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt and Joe, I'm assuming you both in agreement that this, if they were to replace, if the Super League was to come in and mean that the top English sides, top Spanish sides, etc., wouldn't compete in their home countries, I'm assuming, like myself, you think that would be a really bad thing for football. I, I will happily stipulate, no, I, I won't watch the games and I won't support Liverpool. Okay. Oh, hang on a minute. You will not support Liverpool? What, no, I wouldn't. Why? 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 Because they'd be playing in a league where they can't get relegated. Nobody can get relegated. So It'd be I, shite. It's, it's a franchise league. Money-making yeah. scheme. There's no heart or soul in it. I'll just go and watch Cardiff every week and I'd be happy with that. Okay, fair enough. Because I'm going to be, I just want to classify there. I don't know if we've been reading different things. My understanding is that this, Euro, this European League is to just replace the Champions League. Uh, no. the, it's not, so the, the Super League... Out of the Premier League. Okay, so I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know what's worse. I, I, I like when you say, like, they're both equally just terrible ideas. You, do you know what I mean? You can't tarnish the European Cup. It's the fucking European Cup. It's the biggest competition in football, if you ask me. Bigger than the World Cup. My, the World sorry, Cup. sorry, one second there. My understanding is, from what I've read, is that it's the, the Super League would be owned by FIFA. So it seems mm. like it's a bit of a. Um, Kind of power grab from FIFA so that they they control the they control football again on like the world like because the UEFA Champions League makes so much money and I think FIFA would like kind of want a slice of that pie and I I think that's partly why it's kind of coming on board and why why it's being talked about so much. 
From what I understand, the the founding twenty teams or eighteen teams or whatever it will be, I think it's twenty yeah. teams. Um, eighteen, it is eighteen. I understand. 18. They can't be relegated for the first twenty years of the competition. Yeah. It, it'll be very much like an American format, and then they'll be looking at other teams then to basically build up as franchises and buy their way into the league. As how I've envisaging it, future further ex- down the line. That's exactly how I. Just one one quick thing though is um, this is kind of going to the future and one thing I'd like both of you kind of imports on is you look at a lot of sport, like you look at cricket, they brought in 2020 to bring in more fans. They snooker, they brought in like um, like time shots, et cetera, so that snooker matches were quicker. Um, and basically uh, darts as well, they, they completely remarketed darts for, to a bigger audience. So it kind of seems. Um, so it kind of seems to me that what's happening with uh, football is they're trying to think of ways to market to like a new generation of supporters. And at the moment, to me, that seems a bit pointless because the way football works at the moment, um, at least on the British Isles, seems to be working very well. It seems to be very popular, and I'm sure once fans are allowed back into stadiums, they're going to be packed again. So I don't see why why change a win in Formula unless it's just because you're money hungry and you want to try and eke out even more money from the sport. Absolutely. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to get a new target audience. But like the game's been fucked up enough recently as it is with fucking VAR and just, you know, the, the, the amount of new rules that have been introduced in the last five years. Um We've had discussions many times, Owen, as well, and you know how fucking infuriating I find a lot of ref and decisions and, and a lot of the way the game is played at the moment. And I would literally give anything to have football to be played the way it was like just 10 years ago and be refed how it was 10 years ago. I would, I would literally give anything because I can accept human error and things like that as well. And But this is, you know, I'm, I'm going on. I, I don't know how the game is being needlessly... Um, changed and manipulated basically as you say i think just to basically to customize people who don't understand the fucking game and it's but a very american live, system as well and it's we live, by american owners but we live in a very kind of we live in a world that's always evolving right so therefore how our parents or um if they liked football my father didn't so much but like family members who were older than me they would say about the good times in the 80s and the 90s. So now we talk about the good times in the in the noughties. Therefore, when we have kids, they'll be like, oh, they're talking about the old times. So the thing is, football in the world is always evolving and VAR, goal line technology, and the idea of a super league is this kind of idea of football evolving again. And are we, is it just that this isn't for our generation and it's for the generation after us? And I mean, our generation will enjoy it. When my dad tries to argue that the older players were better because they played on muddy pitches and they got kicked a bit, I completely fucking rubbish that argument because why wouldn't you want to see fucking George Best playing on a crisp pitch or Kenny Dalglish or Johan Cruyff or fucking Michel Platini? You know, you know, those 70s, 80s great players. You'd much rather see him playing in today's game with today's conditions. So uh, that sort of argument's rubbish. Although I can completely appreciate 
what, what you're saying. And I'm not saying harking back to like 10 years ago because of the quality of football. Um, I don't think the quality of football has differed much. I think the game's always um, sort of developing in terms of the tactics and the pace of the game's reflected in that. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm... I'm more, I'm more of the sense of I just like the game to go back to being ref how it was, fucking linesmen being how they used to be, human error being the only thing you read about in the fucking tabloids, and you could maybe just accept it a little bit more because you know they're trying to keep up with the pace of the game. I don't know. I'm going on now, but you know how impassioned I am about this subject, and I, I just think you know there's nothing wrong with the game as it is fundamentally. Let's not just keep adding things to it needlessly. Um, and certainly let's not fucking tarnish leagues and competitions that have been established for, you know, 100 years. I've got to be yeah, fair. I've got to, what you're saying there, with the new rules being brought in, I see no problem with goal line technology. Um, I think that's a good thing. VAR works very well in other sports. I think it's just in its teething problems. Um, I think what I'm trying to get at with, with me opening my mouth is that, these rules need to be consistent across, well, European or just just across global football. I think there's one rule how VAR is used in one competition, how it's used in other competitions. Um, again, I think when we're moving forward with football, I think the best way to... It, it, all of these rules which are being implemented so far are to make the flow of the game easier and better and more fair. Where this, if we're bringing it back to this uh, this league, it doesn't make it fair at all, and it doesn't make it entertaining. But I think one thing that's not being taken into consideration in our chat anyway is the fact that you've got the FA, you've got the Spanish FA, the, the, all of these different European countries who are in charge of football well-being in their their own leagues, their national leagues, are instantly not going to back any of this. The value of the Premier League without the top four, should we say, out of the whatever it is, out of those top six, or in Spanish football without the two Madrid teams, um, Sevilla, uh, the Sevilla via, via Villarreal, I don't know, or, or Barcelona. What is it? It's not even as good as the Championship, almost. You got the Bundesliga is not going to have Bayern Munich or Dortmund. The French league's not going to have PSG, Monaco, or Lyon. It's like it's not going to. I think, to be honest, there's no point even giving it any traction because it's just not going to happen. I think the only reason it's been said about, which people might scoff, people might say I'm going mad or I might have had too much much wine, is that UEFA or FIFA. Who's who's promoting it? UEFA. No, this is FIFA. 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 And this it's, is FIFA. it's also important to remember as well, the FIFA president changes and their agenda changes as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. What I'm trying to get at is, is maybe people don't see it too much of an issue now, but it's a similar discussion I've seen with people because I'm a rugby fan as well. The MLS and the MLR. The MLS has got the potential with the entire of America's power and buying power to outgrow European football. It might not have the history... But as we go, as we can see in, in the world nowadays, world history really means not as much as world buying power. And if the MLS gets to as big as what its potential could be, then you're almost seeing a shift away from European football. 
a long, long time, but I don't, I don't doubt you there. I believe it is, it, it is possible. And people like David Beckham doing what he's done over there as well as certainly leads a light. So anyway, I, I think it was it's fucking interesting discussion, that Super League stuff. It's been, and it's been a discussion that not just us three have had here tonight. Uh, it's a discussion that they've had literally for about 25 years. It always gets brought back around every now and then. And like I said, it's just one person's agenda. I think Luis Figo is potentially going for the FIFA presidency. And if he does get it, right. this, won't happen. this won't happen. Well, he'll save football if he gets it, so I hope he does. And it's Luis Figo as well. He's the creme de la creme. Let's discuss a bit about the Champions League while we still have it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, all three of our teams were in action. We'll focus on those three teams uh, predominantly before we have a little brief chat about the Europa League and finish up. Um, Seems as we've been discussing Barcelona, Matthew, we might as well carry on with uh, with what you thought about their game against Juventus before we uh, move on and chat about the other games. So, uh, recent recent bad result against Real Madrid, put to bed against Juve. Uh, what, what what's your feelings? I just find it quite interesting that there was, the, the, like I said earlier, the day after the president had left, it's almost like the entire of Barcelona just took a breath and went, "Thank fuck, he's gone, and let's crack on." Um, we're back to more. Forward playing football, we definitely dominated the ball. I thought I was quite surprised with the possession stats at the end of it. Thought we had more of the ball than we actually did. I don't know whether it's so much of a good Barcelona or more of a toothless offside Juventus. I think even if you had no players on the pitch, Morata would still have been offside. I think uh, he scored three, had three disallowed goals. I think uh, I think it was his last one was a bit. Bit edgy, I think I would have given it, but there we go. It was deemed offside. I don't care. We won two nil. Um, Dembele had a bit of a mixed bag game where it was his opportunity to seize it. I think the biggest player to look at was uh, young Pedri. He's what seventeen years old, and the way he was, he run around Quadrado unbelievably. Some of the skill and the calm that boy had at seventeen years old playing Juventus in the Champions League in. In, in Turin was unbelievable. It was really good. I think it was a good game. I think it was a lot more relaxed Barcelona. Um, and we had a lot of injuries, um, which was a, which I don't know whether it was a good thing that we played so well with so many injuries. So, yeah, I think it was all around a good, a good, a good game for us. Right, okay, then. then. So, um, what about Liverpool then, Joseph? What, what did well, you make of the yeah. in Europe this week? Injuries has been the key word. Um, or a, a key phrase that's been associated with us um, over the past couple of weeks. So, started off pretty badly. Um, Fabinho got himself injured uh, early on, which um, led for Reese Williams to come on. Um, I suppose it's a bit of a good story, really. He's, he's only a 17-year-old lad. He was on loan at Kidderminster in the uh, Vanarama Conference last season. Um, he's made two Champions League appearances this season, playing for for the English champions. And um, he came on and he did pretty well. We were only playing Maitland, as people will know. Um, it, it was a very slow game. There was a lot of changes as well. Uh, the front three were arrested. You had Minamino, Origi, Shakiri, and Jota up front. Um, Diogo Jota looks phenomenal, but the other three were just... I mean, I think it's a surprise probably to a lot of Liverpool fans to see maybe Shakiri and Origi still... Still at the club, I think maybe if 
they hadn't been COVID and teams had more money and things were a bit different. Maybe we would have seen maybe some of these players moved on. But um, yeah, we just looked really dysfunctional and slow. Um, really painful to watch at times, to be honest with you. The only man who really um, stood out was was, was Trent. Um, he's a brilliant assist for a brilliant piece of play for Jota's goal. And um, he set Mo Salah for... It was a great ball and Mo won a penalty towards the end of the game and we won it 2-0. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't convincing. But um, considering we've got one fit centre-back now, um, to have had the clean sheet at Ajax and, and you know, still get a, a win and a clean sheet at home and, and to be top of the group, I suppose, is a positive. But um, to lose Fabinho was a massive blow, to be honest with you. And, it, it you know, it, it didn't feel... I wasn't buzzing that we won, you know. I'm so worried about what could potentially happen over the next couple of weeks. Um, and we got West Ham on the weekend, so we shall see what happens. Have you literally only got like one defender now? <laughs> yeah, Joe Gomez is the only, got... fit, only fit centre half. So Van Dyke's out for the season. Matip played against Everton, had a great game, and then got fucking injured again. And then Fabinho was, you know, played centre half against Ajax, was brilliant. And then, um, and, and he played against uh, who was it on the weekend uh, that we beat Sheffield United? Um, and yeah, now he's injured again as well. So we've got we've got a res- with the reserves, so you know, whatever kids we've got who can play centre half and Joe Gomez. It's Does a matter come with his own personal ambulance? Like he-, he, he should do, man. He, he's <laughs> I don't know whether he's got no fucking pain threshold or what, because he's a great defender, but he, you you can't get more than like four or five games in a row out of him. And and it kind of makes me think if we shouldn't have got rid of if we were gonna get rid of one, we should have got rid of him and maybe not Lovren. Although mm. he is a much better defender than Lovren, um, to have Lovren now would be so fucking handy mm. that he should have an experienced centre half, you know. So yeah. and he scored a screamer in the Champions League for Zenit. If anybody's seen that, I didn't see it. Didn't see it. Well, you were you were talking about your flatter Arigi. I think that man should just be given lifelong membership to uh, to your club after his exploits in the Champions League last year. Yeah, he's, there's being a cult hero. <laughs> there's being a cult hero and there's, there's not being good enough. And, like, he's had his moments and he's, he's got a great record against Everton. He's done, you know, the Barcelona game. He scored in the Champions League final. You know, he, but he's just not... Um, he doesn't get enough run of games, I don't think, to get enough form behind him. And then when you see fucking Mane play... They're, they're worlds apart. You know, it, it's too much of a drop down in quality when the front three don't play. But Jota looks un- unbelievable. I think he scored like four goals already. He scored more goals than Firmino West. So I think now it's a question of does he actually start in the front three now with the, with Moen and Mane? Mm, that was a question. How did Hibs get in on Champions League, guys? They won it. They won the whole thing, Hibs. <laughs> They won the whole tournament in one day. <laughs> Sorry, Lace. Go on. Do you want to go on about your team? I'm fed up with listening about Liverpool now. Pish, <laughs> mate. Um... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm guessing you wanted you wanted me to talk about how Manchester United got on in Europe, yeah? Well, I was confused when we all said that we'd seen our teams play in the Champions League and I was like, I'm at a loss who you are on about. But there we go. As, yeah, much, as, as much as Owen will try and throw the veil of not supporting Manchester United, he's got this season's kit um, and he watches every single game. So I'll well, let you just try. He's a he's Man, a Man United, United fan. He won't, he won't. It pains him to admit when, it. Whenever, when I lived with him for two years, two painstaking long years for him, 
<laughs> he was always a Man United supporter, so he's got he's got multiple Manchester United shirts from multiple generations as well. So he's certified bona fide. I think we, I think he thinks if he if he slights them every now and then, it'll like throw you off the scent. Do you know what I mean? Gives okay. the illusion that he doesn't, you know, because he hate that he hates them a little bit, but he doesn't. Maybe that's what makes this podcast so successful that you just keep plugging Liverpool every 30 seconds of your breathing life. And he doesn't. He doesn't kind of go like that committed to um to, to his club, if you know what I mean. He just keeps it on the sly. I don't need to shout about it too much. I don't know. I mean, if, anyway, trying to say, if we're trying to say I'm the more passionate fan, then I'll take that. I, I think what he's trying to say is I'm more professional. Yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. I'll go with the Scott on this. <laughs> you just gotta go. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but I'm a Liverpool fan. You're on episode 23. Everyone fucking knows you're a Liverpool fan, so. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> so it's talking about Manchester United in Europe, right? Yeah. They they finally if got we going in. They finally got going in Europe. I'm not going to bore the audience too much with it. But yeah, they finally got going. They they showed their great form after losing to Crystal Palace, um, getting humped by Spurs um, and drawing with Chelsea. They went into the game with RB um, on great form, I, as you could see. Um, yeah, and somehow they beat the team top of the German League 5-0. They're, Can I just give two? Go on. Go on, sorry, Lace. There, there was a couple of points in this match where be honest with you, it could have gone either way. Like it was, it was a fit. Man, Manchester United definitely started a better team, um, bit, and they they scored quite early through Greenwood. But RB um, came at them, and they had a few chances. Da and made a couple of really quite good saves. But in the last kind of fifteen minutes in this match, um, RB decided to stop defending and conceded four goals, and. It makes the scoreline look a little bit more flattering than it maybe should have done. Um, but yeah, it was good by Man United, and I said they might struggle to get out of this group. And you would now say they'd be really, really bottling it if they didn't get out of this group. I'd just like to give two seconds a round of applause to Marcus Rashford because what a fucking kind of month he's having. He's probably one of the, like what is he? Twenty one, twenty two? How old is he? Depends. But um, he's he's such a he's such a face for world football. For him to get a hat trick as well was like topped off a really good week for him. I'm like I'm quite quite proud of that young man. Like he's done a lot more than most other football players have. Um, so yeah, and I think he came off the bench for a first hat trick anyone's had in a Man United shirt for six years, isn't it? No, for a lot longer than that. The last player, the last Manchester United player to come off the bench and score a hat trick was Oligano Shoska against Nottingham Forest. And that game ended 8-1 for Manchester United. All I took from that game is the Bundesliga must be shit. Um, Joseph, um, anyway, this is what we're talking <laughs> about, not being professional. Um, right, um, moving on then. Um, is there anything you want to kind of touch on from the Europa League action? Well, we um, literally talked about three games in the Champions League. There was a lot more going on. We've been talking for a very long time, Matthew, mostly about your <laughs> club and your presidential uh, ways. Um, and we, we don't normally cater for, for, for much more longer than this, but we will double check 
double up on some of the games in uh, the Europa League. I'll, I'll I'll give some of the results from the Champions League briefly before we move on, as I'm sure some of the uh, the listeners already know them. Uh, PSG uh, bounced back with, with a win uh, in their group as well. Um, I'm actually looking at the, the the Wednesday night fixtures here, so I'll do the Wednesday and then the Tuesday just to switch it up a little bit. Um, so yeah, PSG <laughs> Istanbul Basaka here. Um, Basak Sakir uh, in Group H um, so yeah bounce back victory for them as we touched on Barcelona beat Juventus 2-0 in Group G uh, Dynamo Kiev and Feren Kravoshi uh, from Hungary they drew 2 all in that group uh, then we had Dortmund uh, beat Zenit to get their first three points uh, in Group F Club Bruges and Lazio also drew uh, Chelsea had a very good win uh, in Russia against Krasnodar a 4-0 victory for them in Group E, and we also had Sevilla beating Rennes uh, in that group as well. Uh, on the Tuesday fixtures uh, in Group A, Bayern Munich, they beat Lokomotiv Moscow. It was an interesting game now, and as well, I actually watched that. It was the early kickoff of, of, of the evening. Um, so very interesting VAR calls, actually, in that game. I, I implore anybody to go and uh, to watch the game if you want to see the difference between VAR being managed and refed in the Champions League and in the Premier League. Uh, Atletico Madrid 3-2 against Salzburg. Didn't see that game. Kind of gutted that I didn't. Uh, that's it for Group A. Group B, Shakhtar and Inter Milan. Uh, a completely enthralling fixture. Nil-nil there. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Real Madrid. That finished 2-2 Madrid. Struggling in the Champions League this season. It'll be very interesting to see if they can get out of that group. Group C, Porto beat Olympiacos 2 0, while the Dirty Manx got a very good win in France 3 0 there. Um, you know, English teams don't tend to do that well in France, but the Manchester clubs have got two victories in a week. And in Group D, you've got Atlanta. Uh, they, they were actually 2 0 down against Ajax. At uh, half time in that game, uh, came back to finish 2 2. And as we discussed, Liverpool beat Mightland 2 0. Um, we'll have a little look at the Europa League fixtures now. And then I think the most prudent ones to speak about would be the uh, the English teams in action and, and, of course, the Scottish teams ahead of their uh, Scottish Cup semi final on, on the weekend. Um, let me have a little look through my list here. Uh, Arsenal, they beat. The lowly Dundalk 3 0. Uh, obviously, it must have been a great occasion for the, for the Dundalk fans, obviously, not being able to be there, but at least being able to see their their side in action. It was quite interesting. I've actually got a friend who's a Dundalk, who's a Dundalk like Irish fan, uh, but also a, an Arsenal fan. And he was like, if there was ever a football team, a football match I'd have ever wanted to go and bloody see, I'd want to go and see that. But there we go. I mean, the fact he supports Dundalk and the fact he's picked Arsenal probably tells me he hasn't got the greatest footballing taste. But um, I respect, <laughs> well, I respect that. Well, looks like he's Cardiff City, if you know what I mean. It's our Cardiff City, if you know what I mean. We, that's you could say football. I'd love to see him play Barcelona or, you know... Well, he some... supports Arsenal. He picks a team, like, isn't it? That's what I mean. That's what I said. He hasn't got a Look, fucking... there's someone else in this conversation okay. who picks shit teams as well, so... <laughs> Teams, if you're saying teams, then we know who you're talking about. Um, so moving on from that fixture, uh, Rangers uh, is the next one I've got on my list. Uh, they beat Lech Poznan 1-0. Um, they were a decent side from, from Poland. Um, I actually watched this game. Oh, okay then, so you can give us the lowdown. Yeah, I watched this game. Um, Rangers were pretty poor in the first half when Lech Poulsen came at them and were quite unlucky not to go ahead at half time. 
second half, um, they obviously got a rocket up their ass and they were by far the better side. Morel has finally put in a performance this season and got himself a goal and they were more than deserved winners in the end. Yeah, and another clean sheet as well. I think you well. know how much it hurt me to say that. Yeah, I can imagine. And another clean sheet as well. He does like his clean sheets though, Stevie. Um, Leicester, they got a good win in Greece. Uh, did any yeah. of us catch that game? No, no, we didn't catch it. But um, I watched Arsenal by. We did. I didn't catch it, but um, AK Athens will always hold a kind of special memory for me because Hibs had one of the greatest European nights in their history against that side. Um, so I kind of always, whenever I see them in Europe, it makes me think of Hibs playing them in Europe and beating them. Um, we were, I'll just tell you the brief story because I think it's a cool story. We were 2 0 down after losing to them in Athens and we took it back to 2 2 on the night. Um, obviously, 2 0 ahead on the night. And then we hit the crossbar in the last minute to go through. And the Easter road that night was absolutely bouncing. And it was one of the greatest European nights that Scotland has ever seen. That's mental. Who did you beat in the final last season? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that was a nice green story. Yeah, it was. He did. He did condense that one down. To be fair, was, was that like confident. a qualifying round or something? No, Owen. Well, how old? No, how old was it? How old were you, mate? Uh, it was two thousand and one. Ah, right. So he's about. He's about thirty. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> He was oh. about thirty. Ah, so fair enough then. All right. Well, anyway, Leicester. Um, Sorry about that. The, that's all right. Yes, it was quite a romantic story. I could see the glimmer in your eyes there. We all have a nice romantic, you know, European night or whatever. I'm sure, Bordy's got fond memories of Barcelona at Wembley, and you know myself, Liverpool, Istanbul. Um, anyway, Leicester. So yeah, they got another victory there. Um, adding to the good victory they had against Arsenal. Um, just this weekend past. Uh, Celtic versus Lille. That finished 2-2. Two, two. That's quite a decent result for Celtic, isn't it? Lille's not the easiest place. No, no, no. I don't, think, I don't think at all. It's not a bad result because the French sides... Um, the French I think Lille are pretty Europe, tidy in France, considering. Lille are Celtic, like a bit... Go on, sorry, guys. Go on. But Celtic were 2-0 up in this game. They were 2-0 yeah, that's up what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. They, they fucked up. They were 2-0 up and then they let it slide. So would you I, have said 2 0 like... would have been a surprise result though? If they'd Not won 2 0 really. away in France, it would have been a good result. It would have been a good result, but I don't think it was a surprise. Lille are like a fifth, sixth uh, placement team in, in Liga 1. I mean, they're not. I mean, yeah, they're, but they're, they're working they... with a bigger budget than Celtic, are even still? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, they they found that. I think I always tend to find, I don't know why, maybe I'm being disgenerous, but I, I find when Scottish teams do. Getting a away victory in, in in Europe, that could be considered like a fucking massive, massive plus. I suppose no. you could say that for any side, any side from any nation. But I don't know. No, the the the, the budget that Celtic's working on isn't isn't too far off some of the other teams in the Champions League. I don't, I wouldn't say there's massive difference between them and Liga um, except for like obviously the top teams. Uh, I don't know I think in terms Celtic, of wages think, and things, yeah. mate. I'm, I wouldn't be too sure about that. The wage bracket and uh, generally is quite very low in Scotland. I'm sure Owen can tell you a lot more about that. But so just, anyway, that's... Um, so, so just in brief, um, they were after Morellas um, at Rangers and they decided to go for someone else who obviously on paper they decided was better. So they were after one of the best strikers in Scotland. Um, 
And I think that kind of tells you what kind of budget they have when they're after one of the best strikers in Scotland and they decide, actually, no, we don't actually fancy him. Oh, right. OK, actually, no, we are. I was saying, yeah, yeah, I've just looked up now. So I've just pulled up the first thing on on the net, which might not be that accurate. But Lille net worth is 230 million, whereas Celtics is only 100 million or just over 100 million. So maybe... I, I, I would... I would put that, a lot of that down to Lille have, have sold, they produced and have sold a lot of players. They sold that Nicolas Pepe to, to Arsenal for 72 million. It's assets, recent Champions League um, inclusion, that you know, money that they make from their league positions and things like that as well. Um, I think Celtic's a much bigger football club, but you know, that's just me. But while we're on, these, uh, while we're on this subject, um, we obviously haven't discussed this week as we usually would about the Premier League and, and the Scottish League, and we'll be reverting back to that on on Tuesday or, or Wednesday uh, next week, I, I should imagine. Um, so ahead of, of the weekend, there will also be a Scottish semi-final action, uh, won't there, Lacey, which um, I know you're very keen to talk about. So after these two results uh, for Rangers and Celtic, although Rangers won't be participating in those semi-finals, uh, how do you think Celtic will feel about going into that game themselves. Um, and, and obviously you as a Hibs fan, I know we haven't really discussed them and we'll go in more depth about that next week. But yeah, Celtic's best opportunity to win a trophy this season, considering our Rangers are doing. Okay, so there is just for a quick reference, right? These are the Scottish Cup semi-finals from last season. So this is actually last season's Scottish Cup. So if Celtic win the Scottish Cup, they would have won four trebles in a row. So they could triple treble is what they're going for. Celtic's recent form isn't anything to write home about. And last week, they drew 3-3 with Aberdeen in the league, and now they have them in the Scottish Cup. So I think, to be honest with you, Aberdeen have Celtic at the, at the best possible time. And if I was to put a sneaky bet on, I'd have Aberdeen beating Celtic. And I think Aberdeen could give them a real game on Sunday in the Scottish Cup. Um, Sorry, where, where is the game being played? They're, they're both at Hampden Park in Glasgow. So, obviously, with no fans. So, yes. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think Celtic uh, will get through against Aberdeen and they'll probably sneak past them, but it is a very good chance for Aberdeen. Because Celtic but- don't look on form and they don't look confident at all. They, that, that's the main thing with Celtic currently. They look very off. Off their pace, they, they just do not look confident at all, and they haven't really looked confident all season. And it'll be interesting to see what the what results come from that. Um, the other semi finals, of course, Hibs against Hearts. It's a, it's an Edinburgh derby. Um, the last two meetings between the clubs um, at Hampden have not ended well, but Hibs are obviously in the in the SPL and third in the SPL while. Hearts are second in the Scottish Championship, albeit having played only two games. Um, so if if you've got the time to watch it, it's on BBC Scotland um, on Saturday at five o'clock. It, it should be a really good game. Um, and every, I've got everything crossed that we managed to beat the Hearts and get to the final. And I hope that it's a Hibs Aberdeen final and me and Joseph up against each other. Yeah, that would be super interesting. Um, just, uh, just sorry, just to throw it in the mix there. Seeing as we've all, you, Proctor's picked a, sorry, Joseph's picked a Scottish team. 
Uh, in my uh, background, I, I am a hippie as well. I've been forced into being a hippie by uh, Owen Lacey. I haven't lived with him for several years. So my team in the Scottish League as well is also Hibernia. And if it is a Scotland, if it, if it is a Hibernian Aberdeen final, then up the high bees, that's all I'm going to say. I didn't actually choose. I, I'm I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I hope obviously the boys do well. And as Owen says, I think they got a great chance against Celtic because they have been out of sorts and Aberdeen have been fairly steady, fairly steady. So it's, it's a great opportunity, and we will be able to report to you uh, what the results of those fixtures are like um, as of next week when we resume as our usual schedule. And I think that's a wrap for this week, boys. Uh, Matthew, thank you very much for coming back on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you, my man, and I'm sure. We'll have you on again very, very soon. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, yeah, I come back a bit uh, sooner than uh, the gap we've had before. And uh, yeah, it was good to see you guys. Speak to you soon. And Owen, good luck for the weekend, my man. I hope to see you in the final. Thank you very much. And fuck the hearts. <laughs> right, Harry, did you see that ludicrous display last night? <laughs>